Are we supposed to get married? I'm gonna just swipe left. I just want somebody to share my life. With. Hold on. And when I you think- say soulful kiss, you're yeah. saying like with tongue. Well, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> you can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've seen me on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hey, 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 lovers. Welcome to another amazing episode of Dates and Mates Summer Encore Series. For those of you who are new to the show, we're doing something a little different. We are opening up the vault on my favorite past episodes of Dates and Mates. These are conversations that were previously only available to my VIPs and clients. But let me tell you, these episodes were just too hot to stay hidden away this summer. Today is a special Encore episode in which you will hear my former co-host, Ray Christian, who offered a male perspective on dating for two amazing years of the show. And you will also hear my amazing guest, Dr. Pepper Schwartz. She's the only expert to appear on all 15 seasons of the hit Lifetime show, Married at First Sight. Being in a long-term relationship, we see our partners and ourselves grow and change, our needs and goals shift, and the dynamics of our bond evolve. It's a good thing. It's part of the process, but it can be a little bit tricky. And that's why I have Dr. Pepper Schwartz joining us today. She'll tell you how to know if your budding relationship is on the right track and what to do to keep things spicy if you and your boo hit a little low. I am so very excited to bring this episode out of the vault with you, so let's get right into it. Dr. Pepper Schwartz is an esteemed researcher and author of over 25 books. Two of those books, American Couples and The Normal Bar, The Surprising Secrets of Happy Couples, have been on the New York Times bestsellers list. And they've been featured on a little show you may have heard of called Oprah, The Oprah Winfrey Show. She's taught at the University of Washington in Seattle. She was AARP's first love and relationship ambassador And she is one of the stars of the hit TV series, Married at First Sight. Please enjoy my Summer Encore series interview with Dr. Pepper Schwartz. That's that's great. Thank you. You're great. Thank you for joining us. I'm really pumped. And we get a lot of questions on this show from people that are in relationships and what want to keep it spiced up. So I, I'd love to kick it over to you to drop a couple of little hints on how we can uh, spice things up if it's feeling a little bit stale. Well, thank you very much for giving me this opportunity because I do think that everybody needs kind of a romance and relationship checkup. You know, just like we go to the doctor to see if our blood pressure is okay and we go to the dentist to see if we have any cavities. And, you know, we love we love a good report, but if it's not a good report, then we go do whatever we have to do to get everything in order. And it's very important to me, these kinds of checkups, because the data all show, and I know you know this, but that everything kind of attenuates, that all the things we used to do, we seem to do less of, not because we love our partner less, but particularly over a long-term relationship, we get too darn casual, and we stop making it fun, and we even forget the things that we used to do when we were sort of intensely in the first moments together, but we still need those things. I agree with you as someone that has been married over 10 years. And I know you also have a, in addition to, to being a researcher in this field, you, you've, you've lived it and you walk the walk and you right. talk the talk. So when we're talking about a checkup for the relationships, what are some of those 
benchmarks that we should look for to know that our relationship is on the right track? Or are there certain things that we should always do on certain intervals to make sure that we do keep it spicy, as you were saying? I mean, one is, you know, what what aren't we doing anymore? And we don't kiss as often. Um, There's a lot of data on that. We tend to fall into a rut. So like uh, we have like little smooches, hello and goodbye, but those aren't the same as a soulful kiss. So, I mean, one kind of thing we could do for ourselves is say, okay, I'm going to kiss twice a day. And one of those is going to be a real connection and not just hello. Hold on. And when I you think, say soulful kiss, you're yeah. saying like with tongue. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be with tongue, but it can't last two seconds. And it has to be a feeling where you and that person are actually kind of feeling a little bit, you know, your heart goes a little bit faster. You have a sense of, yeah, this is the person I love. And that that's the connection. You could use your tongue or not, you know, but it's not the beginning of a sexual moment, or maybe it could be, but what it is is something about, you know, I love you, I feel you, where we're with each other, not just being nice to each other and saying hi. It has to have, you have to know the difference, and one of those has to have that feeling in it. And, you know, if you want it to start sex, fine, but I think the other thing it does is say, you know, we are something special to each other, and I think that's important. And in the same way, I think holding hands is important. One of the things the study shows that, you know, about 85% of all couples hold hands when they first start going together. But after 10 years, 50% of them stop doing it all, and other people do it just sort of intermittently. So what I would say is hold hands. Remind yourself to hold hands because that's another skin-to-skin contact that says, you know, we're together, we're special. Hey, Doc, it's Ray here. And I love your concept of kissing twice a day. And, you know, you have these rules. You're not going to hit them every day, but it's a good yard marker or guidepost. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on sex frequency. Let's say you're in a one-year-plus relationship where you're past that honeymoon phase. How often do you recommend sex, let's say, per week? Well, you know, it's different. I mean, the average for couples that have just met, you know, falling in love, crazy about each other, they could they could be doing it every day and maybe multiple times that day, but nobody keeps that up forever. And so the question is, what's right for you and what's right for your partner? The thing I really talk about the most is communication. Don't guess how your partner's feeling about how much sex you have, but ask and say, you know, are we are we connecting enough, you know? Or if you feel like you're not saying, you know what? I crave you more than we're having sex. What could we do to, you know, dial this in a little bit more? Because I find myself feeling lonely or unsatisfied or unfulfilled. Everybody has to have that kind of communication to know what is appropriate. For some people, been together a long time, once a week's going to be fine. For other people, that's not going to work. For you get older, maybe it's once every 10 days or two weeks. But, you know, the thing is, are the two of you on a page together where you feel like you're doing it enough. And that's a very subjective thing. There's no rules on that. What I do think about this communication, however, is one thing you have to ask, because a lot of people don't tell, is is there some reason we're not making love more, not because of how we feel about each other, but other things. I saw this statistic recently that, a good study, 41% of women say they suffer from some kind of sexual dysfunction in a chronic manner. And a very large number of those, about a third, said that's because they feel pain during intercourse. And they don't 
tell their partner because they think it's unavoidable and they don't want to hurt his feelings or make him feel like he's doing something wrong. But, of course, if it's never discussed, you can't do anything about it. And I know most women with male partners, or for that matter, women with women partners, wouldn't want to think that they were hurting their partner. They love them. They they want them to be happy. So I think if you talk about these things and the men talk about things like, well, I don't make love anymore because I'm not hard often enough or I'm worried about, you know, having an uh, orgasm too quickly. And these things change over time. It may have been no problem at all 10 years ago. But people change. Even intimate partners change and forget to tell each other. Well, and there's I think all it's... kinds of fixes, all kinds of products for this stuff. Yeah, I want to talk about some of the fixes because I know people at home have all sorts of these challenges that, that you brought up. And I want to offer some some remedies for the people that are feeling that way. So let's say, um, like you said, you are experiencing physical pain during intercourse what are some of the underlying reasons that a woman might experience pain and what can she do about it? Other than of course, going to her doctor, which she should do like immediately. Well, right. If you, if, I mean, one thing you do, it's, do I have a yeast infection? Do I have uh, BV another kind of infection that, that women get all the time that could be causing the pain? You want to make sure, you know, if there's an odor or there's a sharp pain, you know, you go see your doctor. But if it's just like you feel it's abrasive against the sides of the vagina, there's all kind of uh, both lubricants and moisturizers, and I'd like to make a difference between them. Lubricants are things that make it slide easier, particularly silicone during sex, and they're great. Moisturizers are actually uh, substances that plump up the tissues. And then there's external moisturizers, which keeps the outside of the vagina supple and smooth so you're not getting chafed and irritated, which people get from ordinary activities like biking, hiking, walking, yoga, sitting in a chair, and so they're already irritated by the time they start lovemaking, and then, of course, it gets worse. So you so can, like, give your vagina, like, do. a facial, basically. <laughs> yeah, so is steam involved or no? <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's kind of, you know, it is true that you're, you're dealing with chapped lips, really. <laughs> Well, and uh, that's those are really good tips. And I think also uh, there are other remedies in the bedroom. If you are using moisturizers or lubricants, there are there are other things that you can also try that I I think it's important to to do to to spice it up. So, what are your tips? I mean, I could give give a couple. You know, I'm a sure. big fan of toys. I think toys are not just for singles. I think a lot of people assume, like, oh, a vibrator, that's just for for my personal use. But it could be fun to use it with a I'm partner. not a fan of toys. I wonder if that's a, a gender gap thing. I, where men I are think like men by feel that sometimes that that's replacing them, that everything ought to be normal, you know, genitals, and that this kind of thing will ruin a woman for, you know, you know hand, hand-to-hand or hands, the genitals, or mouth, genitals, or whatever, all that kind of stimulation. What I always say to guys, like a guy like you, I'd say, don't think of a toy as your competition. Think of them as your colleague, someone who's going to help your, your lady be wildly happy. And particularly sometimes, you know, as women get older or under stress, or if they're taking a medication like an antidepressant, as so many women are, the orgasm sometimes gets hard to do and very frustrating when you're sort of on the edge and you can't get over it. And if they know that if this doesn't work, what they're doing, their, their guy is totally happy to help them with a vibrator or a dildo or anything like that, 
he's the consummate lover because it's not all about him. He's trying to figure out what would please her. And some of the toys are for you, Ray. So maybe you can open That's your true. mind a little bit. You know, I, I want to change gears a little bit because uh, I read an article that you wrote about reality TV and both of us mm-hmm. being reality TV coaches. I thought it was interesting that you said you learned a lot from your experience doing reality TV. It's not all smut TV. Some of it's really good and transformational, like Married at First Sight and A Question of Love. And uh, you said you learned a lot from working with the younger couples in in their 20s and 30s. And I'd love to know, in your opinion and your professional experience, what are some of the biggest differences in sex and love between these different age groups? And what else did you take away from working on Married at First Sight? Well, some of it's good, some of it's cautionary. Uh, The good part is I learned that I don't know who's mature by how old they are. Mm. When we first started, I thought, no, we can't match a 24-year-old. I mean, this is a young person. They won't know what to think or do. They haven't had enough experience. But I've learned over the time of doing this investigation for for this television experiment is that some of the people who've had more emotional talent and thoughtful preparation for this are young. I just can't think of it in terms of age. It has to be in terms of the emotional skills and self-confidence and happiness with themselves uh, that that person has, you know, their sense of their ability to empathize, their ability to talk about it. So that surprised me. I had to revise my visions about age really pretty considerably. On the other hand, on the negative side, I have been truly shocked about what people will say to each other. And I do think younger people, but not necessarily only younger people, unfortunately, um, sometimes they reach for a bomb, you know, when a cautionary word would work. And they say things that take my breath away in terms of how nasty they are. Um, And they, they go for the groin right away. And I think it's because they're fearful, they're frightened, and they don't know how to talk about things and say, you know, like, when you say that, here's how it makes me feel, instead of you rotten son of, you know, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> that starts that relationship into two really defensive, angry, and hurt people. And I, I am shocked, truly shocked at somehow how vulnerable people are, that they, they respond so violently when they think, something isn't going right for them and this person isn't treating them well. You should see the next generation after that. I have a three and a seven year old (laughs) and they really can't control their emotions. But I think it all comes down to communication, like you were saying earlier, and whether you're married at first sight and 20 years old or whether they're some of your fans from AARP that have been in a relationship for a long time and are trying to keep it fresh. If you can communicate with your partner that effectively and mindfully that seems to be at the core of of a successful relationship. There's two things, and sometimes you want to treat someone as you would want to be treated, but other times you have to treat them as they would want to be treated, to take their role as opposed to how you would act in that very same situation. Because, for example, let me take this in a sexual metaphor. Maybe when you get touched, you want to be held tightly and strongly, and that's what makes you feel good. But other people need a light touch, So you need to ask. Doctor, do you think there's such a thing as no sexual chemistry? Or can it always be worked on and built? I think most people can be worked on and built, but not everybody. I mean, people can have very different triggers from, you know, their backgrounds. And it's hard to get over the things you've learned when you were younger, you know? It's not impossible. 
And, you know, I think people change over a lifetime. I mean, I think people, for example, find themselves attracted to one thing at 25 and another at 50. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Pepper Schwartz. Be sure to watch Married at First Sight on Lifetime. Season 15 just premiered this past week on July 6th. And you can soak up more of Dr. Pepper Schwartz's wisdom at her website, PepperSchwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z dot com. That's PepperSchwartz.com. In a moment, Ray and I will be back to answer listener questions like, is my boyfriend a mama's boy? And my husband cheats on me. Can he change? Ooh, the temperature is rising this summer. Stay with us. Welcome back to Dates and Mates. Damona Hoffman here with Ray Christian, the CEO of the Textbird app. Let us know what you found here, Ray. Dear Damona. Damona, help me. We channeled our inner Jules Verne and went on a journey <laughs> to find the best questions. And we got some good ones. My boyfriend's in jail and I love him, but it drives me crazy because I don't know how long I can wait. And I don't like the feeling of feeling lonely so I don't know what to do. Yikes. We are bringing it this week. Okay, so it would be easy for me and my vantage point, having never dated anyone who's been incarcerated, to say, move on out and elevate yourself to the next echelon of man. But she loves him. And from what I've heard, men who are incarcerated, one of the things that keeps them going is knowing that they have someone who loves them on the outside. So pulling away your support from him could be really devastating for him at this time. So I would kind of ask, well, what is the length of the sentence here? Because are you waiting for him for 25 years or are you waiting for him for two years? And really how deep is that connection? And it's possible for you to love him and support him, but not necessarily be in an exclusive relationship with him if you're not sure that this is the person that's going Mm. to be in your life in the future. You hit two great points. That last one is so true. It's like, look, you can tell him, hey, I love you and... When you get out, I'm happy to take another crack at this. But for now, I need to explore stuff. And the second point is is on the money, too, the earlier point, which is, yeah, maybe a couple of years, maybe you stick around. But if he's like 5 to 10 or 10 plus, I'm sorry, he is a zero. And I hate to bomb on people that are in prison, but they got some stuff that they need to work on, and they need to let these women go. We have another question, and she says, My husband just had sex with a girl he just met and I fell for the apologies and then forgave him two days later. Now it seems like he's right back to treating me like nothing. What to do? There are two different problems at work here. One, he treats you like nothing. Two, he's having sex with other women. These are two really separate issues. So it's one thing if your husband has sex with a girl he just met and it's a momentary lapse in judgment and there's some way that you can work through that. I don't know that I would be able to, but there are people that have been able to overcome momentary indiscretions. However, him treating you like nothing is not going to change. That is a fundamental problem in him or in the relationship that cannot be allowed. And the cycle of mistreating you, whether it's having sex with other women or telling you that you're worthless or treating you like you're worthless, mistreating you and then apologizing, getting you to forgive him 
and then doing it all again is going to keep manifesting itself, whether it's through having sex with other women or not. And she's still relatively young, even to be married. So I think this is the time that she's got to get out. And I promise you there are better guys out there. You do not have to stand for this. Yeah. Run, do not walk to the nearest exit. All right, we have another noodle scratcher from a young dame. And she says, I need advice. Is my boyfriend a mama's boy? He's 20 years old, living with with his mom and paying rent there. He always has to ask permission first before going out. And if his mom says no, he can't go. (laughs) We've been together for three years and I'm getting tired of it. And he's even talking about marriage and kids. But I don't know what to do because I hate how his mom is controlling his life. Should I just break up with him? I don't know if you should go right to breaking up, but I think that that's kind of a problem. If you're 20, you should have some freedom over your life. And I think mom can make certain rules about her house, but him having to ask permission anytime he goes somewhere is definitely controlling and overbearing. And if it really bothers you to this level and you've expressed it, female 20 from California, then I think you're not going to compete with his mom. I think if that is the relationship that they have, he's the only one that can come to terms with that not being okay for his life. And it might take you saying, I can't live like this anymore. So this relationship is not headed in the direction that I want it to go in. And when you're ready to, to separate from your mom more, then maybe we can take another go at this. But for now, it ain't working for me. Damn. And then maybe doing that might cause him to grow up and realize, I got to be a man. I got to make my own mark on the world. And when this woman back is my... He's talking about wanting to be her husband. So he can't do that if he has to still ask his mama if he can go out to the movies. We have a question from a young doll. And she says... My boyfriend of almost three years was late again. He doesn't say I'm sorry, and dinner was planned and ready. I went out of my way to entertain his family also. They were 40 minutes late too. No courtesy call. Only a mild thanks. It makes me feel so unappreciated, and if I bring it up, I always hear the whole, you know, I work hard or something came up, blah, blah, blah. Why doesn't he respect my time or effort? Because he's a jerk. Okay, here's the thing with people who are chronically late. It is a way of forcing the other people to be in service to them. It is a way of controlling the situation, asserting their power and dominance, and letting others know who is in charge. So that is what he is doing here. Whether he realizes it or not, he's trying to control her and the other people in his life by chronically being late. And she should not stand for that. And she should let him know just what she said here to us, that when I go out of my way to do something nice for you and your family, and I I want to share that time with you, it makes me feel unappreciated when you show up late or when you don't seem like you appreciate it, when you don't say thank you or only a mild thanks. That hurts my feelings. That makes me feel unappreciated. And then just, just stop and let him, let him sit with that. 
And either he'll be able to understand that his actions are making this person he loves feel bad and he needs to do better, or he's going to continue being that guy. And then you know, if you don't want to feel that way for the rest of your life, maybe that's not a wagon you want to hitch your horse to. I would say, so why doesn't he respect my time or effort? Probably because he has no consequences for doing that. And I think people aren't necessarily bad or good. We just react to the consequences and the incentive system that we are presented with. And in this case, you keep letting him get away with it, so he's going to keep doing it. So what I like to do with people that are chronically late is I like to go with a little jujitsu. Oh, you want to be late for the pickup or for when we're getting ready to leave and go to this event? Guess what? Now you're just going to get left. I'm not going to be butthurt. I'm not going to act mean or say anything mean. I'm just going to leave. Oh, you're going to be... You would leave a girl? Oh, yeah. I've done it, actually. Really? Or family members. Or like a dinner if they're habitually late. I just start... Oh, hey, 40 minutes late. We're already done. But you can help with the dishes. (laughs) Like, you don't act butthurt. You just... Deal with Move the on without them. And then you, exactly, you give them the consequences. So try that. You also have to be really clear if it's a firm seven o'clock. Because sometimes people say, oh, come over for dinner around seven, or we're going to have dinner at seven. And that means we're going to have cocktails, and then dinner will get on the table about eight, eight thirty. And so they might be including that in their time, sure. time frame. So you have to say, dinner's going to be on the table at this time. But what I would do, I had a friend that was chronically late, and I would just back up the time because I knew she was just always going to be late. So I would say to her, if we had to be somewhere at 8, I'd just say, oh, you should come over at 7.30. Right. But then one time she got to my house before me, and she was like, what the heck? I was like, oh, well, I just figured you were going to be late. So, Which is a good power play because like, you're just telling her my time is more valuable than yours. So much so that I'm going to have you there wait for me like a courtesan, and I'm the queen. I wasn't trying to. I just was trying to consider what time she would arrive in the time that I would give her to. That is a good method. (laughs) Also a good method for meetings and stuff like that is to book it at, and actually airlines do this a lot, which is book the time for whatever it is at five minutes. If you want to have normally a 7 uh, a.m. flight, make it 7.05. You want to have an 11 o'clock meeting and people are always showing up a little bit late, make the meeting 11.35 because we always associate a time with like top of the hour or bottom of the hour. Add five minutes so then people aren't infuriating you because they're a minute or two late because they're going to think, oh, I'll get there at 1130. But technically, it's 1135. I thought you were going to say, like airlines do, and just double book. (laughs) And then whoever shows up first. (laughs) That's not a bad route, actually. Can I give you a voucher to take the next meeting? (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this special Encore episode of Dates and Mates. If you love this show... Don't keep it to yourself. Share the love and share this episode with a friend. By the way, I love hearing from you. So let me know what's on your mind. You can send me a DM with your questions for a future episode, or even just let me know which episodes have really resonated with you. You can DM me. You can share it on your stories and tag me, and I will continue to share the love, and I love to hear from you. You can even call me or text me on my 24-7 voicemail. 424-246-6255. Again, that's 424-246-6255. Are y'all watching season 15 of Married at First Sight on Lifetime? You know I want to know who is your favorite couple. Who do you think is going to make it? When you DM me, I'm going to be keeping tally. (laughs) Okay, enough gossip. We will be back again like clockwork next Tuesday with an encore of my interview with Dr. Jen Mann of Couples Therapy with Dr. Jen and family therapy with Dr. Jen to talk about resolving conflict for stronger 
and more fulfilling relationships. Until then, I wish you happy dating.